Good morning. Just as a reminder, we're having a potluck after church. And just as another reminder, on potluck days, I do like to preach extra long just because where are you going to go? I'd like to welcome the Faulkners who are with us. I hope uh, for people who were here during the Sunday school hour, uh, we were just so blessed by hearing what they had to share about their ministry. I'd also like to thank Steve Hall, who preached for me last week, and uh, sincerely appreciative of that. We had a great time in Charlotte visiting with Carrie's family. Galatians chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning, looking at verses 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, once again, we want to thank you for Joel and Esther and Lily who are with us today. And Lord, we pray for your blessings on them, on their family, Lord, on the ministry that they have in reaching an overwhelmingly Hispanic community where they live in South Texas. Lord, we continue to pray for uh, the church that they're part of, that it continue to grow and flourish. Lord, we pray for opportunities that they have to, to share the gospel. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have that same conviction to be opportunistic and relational and evangelistic. Lord, I want to pray for Janet Wolverton and her family on the loss of her mother this morning, Lord, and I just pray for your nearness to her in, in grief and in loss, Lord. Lord, we want to continue to pray for Ron Yergler and for Marsha. We pray as Ron is in the hospital, we just continue to pray for him to be getting better, for tests to go well, to be getting stronger, feeling better. Lord, we pray for his recovery. We pray for our time this morning as we study in your word and that we would again be pointed to truth and to Christ and to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Diet advice. It is a maddening and contradictory world where one fitness guru tells you to do one thing and the next person tells you to do the opposite. Avoid fat. Fat is bad. No, fat is fine. Carbs are bad. You can wrap sticks of butter in bacon, and that's better for you than a piece of cake. Eggs. My whole life has been this teeter-totter of different advice about eggs. They'll kill you. Then they were fine. Then they'll kill you. Now they're fine, but they're too expensive to afford. Cholesterol. You don't want to raise your cholesterol. No, cholesterol doesn't matter. Which one is it? Various diet trends, veganism. I've said this before, but... I don't think I can go to bed if some animal didn't die to sustain me for that day. <laughs> Gluten-free. About a decade ago, that was all the rage. Dairy-free, paleo, keto. Now the big thing I'm seeing on social media is intuitive eating. 
And there have been various diet trends throughout the decades. In the 1920s, Lucky Strikes tried to start marketing smoking as a healthy diet, as a way to smoke cigarettes instead of eating to lose weight. In the 1930s, there was the popularization of the grapefruit diet. I would smoke a carton of cigarettes to not eat grapefruit. Both are bad. Later, there is the Sleeping Beauty diet, the Scarsdale diet, Ginny Craig and Weight Watchers, diet pills and juice cleanses. And it's this nonstop barrage of different diets, different advice, five small meals, don't eat breakfast, eat a big breakfast, don't eat late. It can be so hard to know what works. And when it comes to theology, we live in a world where the truth can be similarly drowned out in an ever-flowing sea of opinions and speculation. We're resuming in our study in Galatians this morning. For the Apostle Paul, he'll reminisce over when he had first ministered to the people of Galatia. But he'll also talk about how so many of these Christians had been led astray by false teachers who were presenting the wrong way to God. And in that, we see a problem that is just as true in our world today. In our society, anyone can preach and teach, and so many people find themselves led astray by messages which are not the gospel and which do not lead to eternal life. There are places in the world where people are persecuted, where Christians are persecuted, and where there are attempts to silence the gospel. In our society, the bigger issue is false gospels, which distract people from the true gospel. People aren't silenced, but the theological noise can be deafening. Our main point today from our passage is that we are to share the true gospel in a world of competing false gospels. And we'll look at our passage in three parts. The importance of our witness, the importance of our message, and the importance of discipleship. First point, the importance of our witness, looking at the first part of verse 12. Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. To be sure, there were undoubtedly things in Paul's life worthy of imitation. His devotion to Christ, his study of the scriptures, his prayer without ceasing, his evangelistic commitment to proclaiming the gospel. But in studying this passage, Paul's point isn't primarily that he's some sort of life coach who people ought to follow. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. In other words, be like me because I became like you. But what does that mean? Keep in mind that many in Paul's audience were Gentile converts to Christianity. In other words, they were people who had never followed the law of the Old Testament. And so when Paul came to them, he was living like a Gentile. Paul was living like one free from the law. That's how he became like them. And the irony is that so many of these Galatians to whom Paul had ministered had forsaken Christ only to start trying to attempt to follow the law. You can't have it both ways. A gospel with law is no gospel at all. In Disney's 1940 adaptation of Pinocchio, you see the wooden marionette carved by Geppetto. He's just a puppet until one night when everything changes. 
the blue fairy enters the workshop and gives life to the once lifeless toy. Jiminy Cricket is given charge to be Pinocchio's conscience, but there's a problem. Pinocchio doesn't want to listen to his conscience. Instead, when he's on his way to school, a con artist fox entices Pinocchio with the promise of fame and an easy life in the theater. But it's all a ruse to sell Pinocchio off to Stromboli and his puppet show. At first, Pinocchio gets what he's promised. But when he wants to return home to Geppetto, Stromboli throws him in a cage. He'd been given life, but was led astray by one who led him into slavery. For the Galatians, they were people who were dead and found life in Christ, who were now voluntarily putting themselves in slavery under the law. Like Pinocchio, being tricked by the fox into joining the puppet show. There's also a value, valuable insight into Paul's philosophy of ministry. Paul became like the people. He entered their world. He joined in fellowship with them. I think of the Faulkners who are with us today, currently in South Texas, working overwhelmingly with Mexican people. They're becoming part of that culture. I think of people who this church supports who live and serve in Japan and France, other parts of the world. You really have to become part of that society to be effective. You become part of their world. You live the way they live. To a lesser extent, I think of myself moving here. I'm from a city. It's a different culture to live in a small town. And I do it imperfectly, but I've tried to become part of this world. A few weeks ago, I saw a clip from a comedian. He was doing a show in Iowa. He's from a city. And he was talking about going to like a little diner or coffee shop in this town in Iowa, just chatting with some of the local farmers. And he asked one of the farmers what he planted. The farmer said, beans. The comedian telling the story said, so I said, you mean like green beans? And all the farmers laughed. They were like, that's funny. <laughs> we don't grow green beans in Iowa. And I've lived here long enough to know why that's funny. It's important to become part of their world. And if you're from here already, then that just gives you all the much more opportunity to minister to people because it's your native culture. Paul became part of the Galatians world. I have become as you are. That's how evangelism works. It's being relational. It's a redeemed person sharing the good news of a redeeming savior. As D.T. Niles famously said, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. But how do we do that? There's much that could be said on the subject. But the starting place is with the centrality of the gospel. It's taking a genuine interest in people. It's coming into their world. It's familiarizing ourselves with people's lives, their families, their story, their struggles. And it's about showing love and being there for a person in times when others might not. It's living a life that reflects our faith. It's not about putting on a show, but about being authentic and genuine with people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see Paul talking about his evangelistic strategy in reaching people. And I think it's a helpful elaboration on what he's saying in Galatians. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and 20. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. 
to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. And so what Paul is saying is that he was flexible in how he interacted with different groups. So long as he wasn't committing sin, he did and lived like the people to whom he was ministering. Verses 22 and 23, Paul goes on to say that he became all things to all people. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And there's the purpose behind Paul's actions. He became all things to all people. He entered their world to reach them with the gospel. The supreme example of this in the Bible isn't even Paul. It's Jesus. He became like us incarnationally. God became man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal God entered into human history. He entered into his creation. He's a king, but he was born in the world, born to peasants. He's the son of God, but he divested himself of privilege. He came from heaven, but was instead born in a manger in a relatively obscure and small town. He became like us in that he experienced hunger. He was called a man of sorrows. He experienced betrayal. He worked an ordinary job as a carpenter. Jesus had a lot to say. He taught, he spoke in parables, he preached sermons, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of heaven. But he also spent time with people. He enjoyed fellowship with people. He ate meals with people. Jesus is Lord. He knows everything. The older I get, sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody, and I think, they're not even listening to me. They're just focused on whatever they're planning to say next. There's nothing anybody was ever going to tell Jesus that was news to him, that was so fascinating. He's perfect and glorious, but he let others talk. He's holy and righteous, though he came and ate with sinners. He associated with those that the world hated and looked down upon. And we, too, have the opportunity to enter people's worlds, to be missional in our activities, to be as they are, so they can be like us in knowing the goodness of the gospel and a savior who is gracious. We come to our second point, the importance of our message. Paul is the greatest missionary Jesus ever called to serve the church. But as we keep reading, and as Paul looks back at his time with the Galatians, we see that Paul wasn't out leading some supercharged evangelistic meeting. He was sick. End of verse 12 into 14. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now, there's more that we don't know than that we do know about the exact situation here. In Acts chapters 13 and 14, we see Paul's first missionary visit to Galatia. Acts does not mention an illness. Acts 14 does mention an angry mob who had stoned Paul when he was in one of the villages. But that text also says that by the next day, Paul was back on the road. In a verse we'll see in a moment, Paul mentions that the Galatians would have gouged out their eyes for him. 
Some take that to mean that Paul could have had eye problems. It's possible, maybe even likely, but that also appears like it could sometimes be used as a figure of speech at this time. Other theories have included malaria or some other disease. We don't know for sure. We don't know what his bodily ailment was, how severe it was, how long it afflicted him for. We also don't know just how much it hindered Paul. We see that Paul says his ailment had been a trial to them, so it seems like it was something significant, but again, there's more that we don't know than that we do know about the specific situation. What we do know from the passage is that Paul had some ailment, which provided the situation for some of his preaching in the Galatian region. And again, Paul is speaking very warmly to these Galatians. In Paul's time of illness, people who were strangers received him and treated him well. And they had received his message. And what a wonder that is. Paul was not preaching the gospel from some position of great strength, but rather from a position of weakness as he was afflicted. But Paul says that they had received him as an angel of God like Christ. That's not to say that they worshipped or venerated Paul as such. Paul wouldn't have accepted that. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are in a Galatian city, and the people want to worship Paul as Zeus and Barnabas as Hermes, two gods from the Greek pantheon, two non-existent gods from the Greek pantheon. And Paul is horrified by this and quickly puts a stop to it. The point is more that they were receptive to the gospel and that they had shown Paul hospitality. Even though he was sick, he was still able to faithfully serve. There can always be reasons we find why we can't participate in personal evangelism and sharing the gospel. Too old, too young, don't know the Bible well enough, don't want people to think I'm weird. Paul had a love for these people and a central focus on the gospel and a desire to make the message known. And now that people had been led astray, we see a great resolve from Paul to set them straight. There are people all around us who are not walking with Christ, who are totally lost, who don't know the redemption and grace that the Lord offers. And we have opportunities. We can't share the gospel with everyone we meet, but everyone has people in our lives with whom we can be witnessing. And as Christians, we are called to share the true gospel in a world of competing false gospels. Paul continues to describe his previous encounters with the Galatian churches. Verse 15, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That's the aforementioned reference to eye gouging. Paul is pointing to the great relationship he had had with these people, the love that they had shown. In the ancient world, someone being sick and afflicted could be a real burden, or even worse, someone who was looked at as being under a divine curse. But the Galatians hadn't treated Paul like that. There had been meaningful relationships with them. Verse 16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And in that, Paul lays his cards on the table. The good relationship had soured. Paul has been a proclaimer of the gospel. And these people aren't walking in step with that. 
And so Paul asks if he's become their enemy. They've rejected the gospel. That's the heart of the matter. But Paul looks at their rejection of him as symptomatic of their rejection of the gospel. It's because they've turned from the gospel that they've also turned from Paul, who's a minister of the gospel. And this is no small matter. It is truth versus falsity, light versus darkness, life versus death, the gospel versus works. Theology matters because we have an almighty God who has spoken to us through his holy word. And we should honor and revere that. Because when we act like it doesn't matter, anything goes. Now, I'm a proponent of finding common ground and being ecumenical. When I was in the evangelical free church, we used to say that we majored in the majors. It's holding tightly and unwaveringly to gospel-defining doctrines. All theological doctrines matter, but they are not all gospel-defining. They can't be, because if they are, then the gospel is no longer the gospel. It begins to exchange the gospel of grace for just another gospel of works. Instead of being rooted in adherence to the law of the Old Testament, it becomes rooted in being able to pass a theology quiz. But the bigger issue is when you take away Jesus, when you take away grace, when you treat your sin as if it's something that you can atone for, you're no longer preaching the gospel. We don't need to treat every theological idea like it's a hill to die on. We don't need to debate every point of disagreement, but we cannot compromise on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we get that wrong, then nothing else matters. And if we get that wrong, we'll get everything else wrong. The message matters. And in a church of people who had come to faith, they're now not living out that faith. We are created by a perfect God, but we're sinful. We cannot fix our own problem of our sin, but God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. And it is he who lived a perfect life, who died the death that we deserved. But he rose from the dead so that all who believe in him can be saved by grace and have eternal life. We come to our third point, the importance of discipleship, verses 17 and 18. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. Verses 17 and 18 are challenging. The gist of it is that these false teachers are ultimately in this for themselves. Paul says, they want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. That's the distinction between Paul and these false teachers. They make much of the people, they flatter the people, because they want converts, ultimately, to be followers of them. Paul wasn't trying to get people to make much of Paul. He was trying to convert people to the faith and the gospel to the glory of God, because he wanted to make much of Christ. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. The false teachers were not zealous for the Galatians for the right reasons. Paul had shared the gospel with them for the right reasons, but when he left Galatia and was no longer present, these false teachers had swooped in and started preaching a different message. Verse 19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, 
we see the intensity of Paul's concern for these people. He calls them his little children, referring to them in familial language. He compares his desire to see them spiritually reformed, he compares that to the pains of childbirth. Paul had shared the gospel with the Galatians, but that wasn't the end of the story. It's a process. In the Great Commission, Jesus didn't tell us in the Great Commission, Jesus didn't tell his disciples to go out and make converts of all nations. He didn't tell them to go out and tell people to pray a prayer of salvation for all nations. He didn't tell them to go out and ask Jesus into your heart for all nations. He didn't go and tell them to make an altar call for all nations. He told them to make disciples of all nations. I've seen a trend starting in mega churches where if you've believed in Jesus, they have a number where you can send them a text message. Jesus didn't tell them to send a text message for all nations. He told them to make disciples of all nations. And yes, I understand that people can genuinely believe through all of those methods, but that's not the end of the line. It's the beginning of a new life in Christ. Discipleship matters. It's not just about somebody saying yes one time and being done with them or chalking that up on a board. It is a process of growth in Christ. Christians helping other Christians grow in holiness in their walk with Christ. The people we listen to and our theological influences matter. And that can be challenging because false teachers don't walk around with signs that say, I'm a false teacher. With Paul, he's been called by Christ to be an apostle. And he's aware of the struggles in this church. And that's why he's writing to them. It's also part of why the church matters, why fellowship matters, why Christian community matters. And it also gives us an opportunity to speak truth in a world where there is so much falsity. Because there are people around us, people we know and love, our friends, our family members, our coworkers, and they will either believe in one of our world's many false gospels or they will worship one of our society's many false idols if they never hear the gospel of grace, the message of Christ crucified. They will go down that path if they don't hear the gospel, the importance of sharing the good news. Now, just telling them the gospel doesn't guarantee that they'll come to faith, but not sharing it guarantees people won't hear it. And for Paul, he had shared the gospel, but that wasn't the end of the story because he also cared about the people living and walking in a growing relationship with Christ. Paul wasn't patting himself on the back for how well his evangelistic outreach in Galatia had gone and then not thinking about them ever again. In verse 20, clearly a personal comment from Paul as he continues to consider the situation. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. He's perplexed, but he's not giving up. He has not lost hope, not because of the Galatians, but because we have a gracious God. I think about people who I've known in various churches I've attended and served. Some of them are flourishing, but then there are those I see who are not walking with the Lord. I think about when I was involved in the crew ministry in college. I've seen some of my friends go off and 
do great things to serve the Lord. Some as pastors and ministers and missionaries. Some as people who are just great church people and involved. But I also see some who aren't walking with Christ today. I think about people I knew in seminary. Some are serving churches or teaching or ministering in many significant capacities. And some, sadly, are very distant from the Lord right now. Last weekend when we were in Charlotte, we met some of Carrie's old family friends. It was like a time capsule. People they hadn't seen in 20 years. Some of these folks were in different places with the Lord. Some of their kids who had grown up in church were ministering in various ways. Some weren't. And I don't know where everyone is coming from. I'm not the judge of people's souls. Certainly, some people might go to church or be involved in church, and they never really believed in the first place. But then you have those who do and who can sometimes go through a wayward season. Paul consistently refers to the Galatians as if they're Christians. He repeatedly calls them brothers. He addresses his letter to the churches in Galatia. But he does question their theological errors. But that's with the hope of bringing the people to repentance and bringing them back to the gospel. And I say that because life is long. And I don't say that for us to be complacent, but that there are seasons. And some of us might love someone who has said they're a Christian, from whom we feel like we've really seen genuine fruit in their lives. But right now, maybe because of a personal struggle, maybe because of a personal sin issue, maybe because of a significant health struggle, maybe because of things going on in the world and just the tough times we're in, they seem like they've just grown totally stagnant in their faith. Maybe it's one of your best friends, someone with whom you've had great conversations about God and you've seen the Lord work in their life, but now they seem distant. When you try to bring it up, you feel the walls come up. Maybe for some of you, it's one of your kids and it's breaking your heart, but you don't even remember the last time they even went to a church. Maybe for some of you, it's your spouse, and you feel like you don't know what to do. Maybe it's you, and you're here right now, but in your heart of hearts, you feel like you're just going through the motions spiritually. I'm glad you're here. I'd say to follow Paul's lead and to continue to focus on the centrality of the gospel. When it's a church that's in a spiritual crisis, Paul's not concerned with ironing out every single theological detail in Galatians. The more I study Galatians, it's basically Paul saying the same thing about 20 different times, that we are justified by faith because we have a gracious Savior. But it's a message that needs to be repeated because it's a message that we need every day. Again, for some people, their issue is that they never believed in the first place. And the answer and solution for them is the same as it is for a wayward person continuing to share the gospel, continuing to be loving, continuing to be a witness for Christ. Paul is writing to the Galatians in a spiritually difficult season, but it is not without hope. We live in a world full of false gospels. We should lament that, but we should also not waste time focusing on that. But rather, that should be our motivation to get to work and to combat falsity with truth and lull with grace 
and a man-centered gospel with a Christ-centered gospel. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we once again rejoice that there is hope, that you are gracious, that we sin, we fall, we fail in so many ways. Lord, may we repent of that. May we turn from that and turn to you. May we know that we have a gracious Savior. Lord, may we live as devoted followers and disciples of Christ. May we encourage and challenge one another to do the same. May we be bold in sharing the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.